0: Welcome to Modern Family Matters, a podcast devoted to exploring family law topics that matter most to you, covering a wide range of legal, personal, and family law matters with expert analysis from skilled attorneys and professional guests. We hope that our podcast provides answers, clarity, and guidance towards a better tomorrow for you and your family. Here's your host, Steve Altishan.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Altishian, Director of Clamp Partnerships here at Pacific Cast Legal. And today, I'm here with attorney Andrew Hayes to talk about what happens to the family pet in a divorce. So, Andrew, before we start in, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. I uh, grew up in Washington State up in Cowlitz County, the Longview and Kelso area. I ended up going to Arizona for various parts of my life, moving around, and I became a music teacher. And then uh, after three years of being a K-8 music teacher, I ended up going to law school at ASU and then uh, returned to Washington, as many people are wont to do, to return to their home state for some reason or other, where I was a public defender in Cowlitz County, then uh, met someone marvelous and uh, got married uh, here in Salem, uh, Oregon, and that's where I have been, and now I'm practicing family law.
1: I love it. I love it. Oh, I love the fact that you're a teacher of music in K-8. through I still remember every line to I am a happy wanderer.
2: Absolutely. I'm sure I I remember a lot of the, the 50 nifty United States, all the states in alphabetical order because of my fifth grade choir. And I facilitated that myself in Arizona with a bunch of songs like that. So
1: I love that. I love that. So now let's talk about Dogs and cats and fish and whatever they are, because when spouses decide to part way, the issue of who gets to keep the family pet, I know, can be really, really contentious. People are devastated if they're going to lose their pets. But how is this really a legal issue in a divorce?
2: Well, it's the same reason it's a legal issue as anything else in Uh, A divorce or or anything to do with family law in the courts, uh, particularly in Oregon, it is always best to come to some kind of agreement outside the courts because the law is doing its best, but the law is not a very delicate tool when it comes to the practicalities of life. Or particularly the practicalities of things to do with your property or your children and of course pets are kind of halfway in between the two i've heard it said many times that the law is a great big sledgehammer and uh, particularly when it's something like pets that everyone that has a pet feels very strongly about their pets and cares a lot about them but they want to know what is going to happen with their pets in this legal process. And the answer is, the legal process is a sledgehammer. You'd better be figuring out some intricacies outside as much as possible. But I do have the answers as far as how the legal process treats pets uh, in the state of Oregon to kind of help demystify and kind of give some predictions. Uh, I like that. Hopefully hopefully some motivation to uh, come to an agreement between the parties because that's always the best, always the best answer.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're looking at you and me, maybe in a divorce, trying to figure out what to do with Fluffy or the judge trying to do what to do with Fluffy. And I think you and I probably would be able to have better ideas about it. So, yeah, what would the judge do? I mean, what? how does the judge ever get involved in this?
2: Well, the judge, uh, in my experience, judges do care about pets. They do understand the importance of pets, most of them. Uh, some of them just got through two days' worth of uh, divvying up children and looking at pretty serious stuff to do with children with special needs, and they look at you and go, pet? Really? But most of them look at it and go, they have pets themselves. They care a lot. But the judge in family law only has the authority to do whatever the law gives them to uh, authority to do, which in family court, that's a lot. They have a lot of leeway. They have a lot of ability to do what they think is best or whatever is just. Or equitable but the judge looking at a pet is going to know that the law of Oregon looks at pets as property and so uh, a judge is going to be deciding where a pet goes where the pet is going to spend his time uh, as a as property now that doesn't mean that the judge is going to treat the family pet as an armoire that needs to be divvied up between the parties but they're going to be looking at a pet as a piece of property. Now, practical consideration, the judge is also going to know that pet's a living thing. Also, the parties have certain uh, emotional ties to the pet. The pet needs to be looked after. And also, the pet is a living thing. Uh, If one party is going to be working 80, 100 hours a week and going to be leaving that pet in the apartment the entire time, that is going to have an effect on what the judge is going to be looking at. Uh, Another big factor is children. If there are some young children that are going to be spending a majority of the parenting time with one parent, then yeah, you're going to be looking at the pet. Probably the judge is going to be heavily weighted to put that uh, dog or cat or, or whatever pet that the children have a relationship with those children. But other than that, the judge is really going to be applying the same standards to the pet that is applied to property. And these are some factors to do with property that actually don't come up a lot in the splitting of property in family court. And and these are uh, well-established statutory case law factors that the courts are allowed to use to analyze where a piece of property goes. And if you'll excuse me, I'm bringing up my notes here that I, I pulled up. The case law and statutes of Oregon allow the judge, and actually mandate the judge, to look at each piece of property as individually, as its own individual analysis. Sentimental value of the property absolutely is an appropriate thing for the judge to be bringing up, making findings on, and making decisions based off of. Now, typically you're talking about heirlooms if you have your prized grandmother's great-grandmother's brooch, then yes, that is an appropriate thing to bring up is sentimental value of that property. But the sentimental value of the pet uh, thus is legal for the judge to actually make a finding on. Other things that the court can legally apply to the pet as a piece of property is the conduct of both of the parties towards the pet. So whoever has been taking care of the pet the most is going to be very... uh, valuable for the court to look at, Uh, who who got the pet, was the pet uh, a particular help to the person, is it an emotional support animal, is going to be exceedingly relevant. And also, of course, the other kind of sometimes crass analysis of these kinds of things is the value of the pet. Because the pet is an actual uh, going to be treated as property, that means the pet has to have some kind of valuation. And so if it's just a a dog you found at an adoption center, that's great. If the dog took some specialized breeding to get to or any kind of financial analysis, that is going to be very relevant. And it is very likely, if it's it's a split of property that both the courts and the the parties involved, are sitting there tallying up the value of every kind of property. Of course, it's unfortunate if it's gotten to the point where everyone's noting down the value of every property. I would counsel anyone going into this kind of thing with a pet that they want to put into that analysis. There will have to be some kind of valuation put to the pet. And that is entirely fact-dependent.
1: It's fascinating. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself that, you know, some dogs now are easily five to $8,000. And so I'm thinking, okay, the dog, the car, the dog, the car, which do I want? I mean, it can be, the value can be that important. And also, I'm wondering, and this is a question now that I wasn't going to ask, but I'm going to, is like in property, uh, it would be rare for the judge, I think, to give the living room set dividing it by the couch to one and the armchair to the other. So if you had a cat and a dog or that had been together for a long time, I imagine that they would possibly be more apt to go together. Absolutely yes, and
2: that and that is what I've seen in my experience is that judges are very uh, practical for those kinds of considerations. They're not going to split a family. If there's two there are two pets that have spent their whole lives together. The judge is going to be very amenable to that kind of argument. as well. they're they're going to be thrown they're, they're going be kept together because it's uh, they, they the judge has the ability to do whatever the judge finds is equitable and fair. And in my experience, most of the time, they do look at pets and they think about the effect on the pet. Uh, the pet yeah. should not have to go from a loving home where they have a regular exercise, regular play, other pet companions. And then, like I said, have to be put in an apartment uh, for uh, most of the hours of their days and lives. Uh, the the judge is not going to be happy about that. Because... Uh, the last thing I'll say uh, that probably needs to be said for any kind of split of property is that uh, the analysis, just a quick rundown of how uh, a, a review of how a judge splits property in a divorce there's two, there's two paths. The first path that needs to be gone down is, is this a marital asset or is this not a marital asset? So marital assets, things that you got during the marriage, if it's, whether it's asset or or debt, you say, okay, what's this got during the marriage? Then we're going to apply a presumption that this is 50-50. Obviously they're not going to split a pet 50-50. It was like, okay, fine. Both have a claim on this pet. If you got the pet before the marriage, then there's no presumption of 50/50 it goes okay it's kind of presumed that it's your pet but even though the 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 division of property in Oregon it splits based on a presumption and then under the presumption tree it splits whether the other party can rebut that presumption and get rid of it even though it branches like this there's all kinds of technical stuff everything funnels back into the same question at the end of property division is What does the judge think is just and equitable? And so that's why all of the facts are important in whatever the cases are for pets. Whose pet was it? Who was spending the time? Who was caring for the pet? Are there kids involved? What is your ability to have this pet and care for it? And those kinds of things. Now, I will bring up the warning, though. And that is that Pet, uh, that it is a murky territory for pets and visitation. I have personally seen cases where I have been involved where the parties are interested in having some kind of visitation schedule for the pet. And they can feel pretty strongly, and I think judges aren't surprised by people feeling strongly about pets, particularly for visitation. I sat in a domestic violence proceedings, a FAP or protection order, where the parties figured out what they were going to do. They were going to live separately. Good, great. The FAPA orders were held in place, but they wanted a special consideration for a visitation for the pet because both of them wanted that pet to have pet time or parenting time with both people, even though there was this other thing. And the judge didn't bat an eye. The judge was like, of course. And I was at the table going, are you sure? There's there's a domestic violence history
1: here. And and the judge goes, no, people feel strongly about their pets. And so I like that. I like that. I mean, I imagine you could put it in a parenting plan that when, when Johnny goes to visit, he'll bring the pet that, that kind of brings the whole concept of, of not having the judge decide, like you just said, and what kind of things you can agree to. And when you can agree to them. And we talked a little bit before we started about, you know, people do post-nups about their stamp collection. And I imagine, or excuse me, prenups. No, not post prenups. And maybe you could do a prenup that involved your family pet.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would strongly recommend some kind of prenup or the postnup. (laughs) Sorry, we were talking about before the postnups aren't legally, uh, statutorily recognized in Oregon, but they have been upheld. And so it's a murky, murky territory. But if the two parties can come to some kind of agreement for, hey, this person will have the pet, but hey, they're going to have some, the other parent's going to have some time with the pet this day and whatever. Now, as an attorney, it's always difficult to recommend a course to a client that. Puts them into murky territory and the problem with visitation plans for pets is that it is a gray area in oregon Uh, there is one solitary case in oregon where the appellate courts had a chance to address the question and they turned down the opportunity to answer the question it was all about a stipulated judgment a settlement of a divorce and inside that settlement they put in visitation for the dog later on the two parties had some kind of disagreement they they, they took it to a, a the trial the, the trial court made a decision they took it up to the appeals court and one of the arguments was it is not uh, it's not legally recognized in the state of Oregon to have some kind of visitation plan for a pet uh, and so they, the Court of Appeals in Oregon said that's an interesting question, and then they completely ignored it and decided the case on other grounds. And so currently, we have no case law saying whether or not a judge can order visitation for a pet. We have no case law saying whether a uh, two parties, if they've come to some kind of stipulation about visitation for a pet, if that can be upheld by the Oregon courts. And so, like I said, the best the best way is to just come to some kind of agreement. Uh, between yeah. the two people it's always a roll of the dice when you take unsettled law to a judge because i can't tell you and there's no prediction unless you know the judge unless you know how they've ruled in the past but most in my experience most judges follow reasonable courses right uh, right and reasonable they understand now i will mention before i forget something very important now the the case law and the statutes of oregon for this pet visitation is just non existent And uh, the case law is unsettled on it. But there is a very important uh, something I'd like to bring up that is in statute, and that is pets if there is any kind of domestic violence. So the domestic violence statutes in Oregon follow, uh, or one of the options is, of course, the Family Abuse Prevention Act, FAPA. And in FAPA, in the Oregon FAPA orders that the judge gets to fill out, if you apply and get awarded a FAPA protection order, there is a spot for that judge to fill out considerations for a pet. It doesn't work for livestock or any kind of uh, cows and things if it's a business, so it doesn't allow for that. This is just personal companions, uh, pets like that, because they're very well aware that in certain instances of domestic violence, there is a history of retaliation against the pet, and that's horrible, horrible. So the Oregon specifically has it, it put out that judges get to decide about pets. If you have a domestic violence no-contact order, your pet can be part of that. The problem is that Oregon's statewide FAPA petition doesn't have that. The form doesn't have anywhere warning you that you can fill out a pet. And it doesn't even sure where to put it in. And so I just want everyone listening to this or watching this to know if you're getting a uh, domestic violence protection order, don't forget to put in that you have a pet if you would like that pet to be protected as well to be with you. Uh, Because the judge does have a part of their form, there is statutory authority for the judge to make orders concerning pets uh, for those kinds of things. And then interestingly enough, the federal government also feels the same if there is a pet involved, and a no-contact order violated. That uh, if it involves state crossing state lines to do so, it is a federal crime.
1: Oh my God! I like to, that.
2: To do anything against a pet. So I
1: like that. Uh, that's uh, wow. You know what? We just blew through our time. We did. We, didn't think we were going to, but we did. Just fascinating stuff. And I really like the idea of what you were kind of emphasizing. If you're going to go into the situation, it's not just I love the pet more than. He or she loves the pet. It's I the it's best for the pet to be with me for the pet's reason, not my reason. So I kind of like that a lot. but we are totally now out of time. I so appreciate you talking with us on this this today. This was a fascinating issue. People talk about it all the time, want to know what to do, and now they kind of have an idea because you made it really plain, simple, understandable. Someone like me can understand it. So thank you, Andrew, for being here today. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, I, I just loved it. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Until next time, stay safe, stay happy, and be
0: well. This has been Modern Family Matters, a legal podcast focusing on providing real answers and direction for individuals and families. Our podcast is sponsored by Lander Home Family Law and Pacific Cascade Family Law, serving families in Oregon and Washington. If you are in need of legal counsel or have additional questions about a family law matter important to you, please visit our websites at LanderHomeLaw.com or PacificCascadeFamilyLaw.com. You can also call our headquarters at 503 227 to schedule a case evaluation with one of our seasoned attorneys. Modern Family Matters, advocating for your better tomorrow and offering legal solutions important to the modern family.